Good morning, church. Um, thank you. Wasn't it nice to have a cello? I miss it when we don't have a cello. By the way, what happened to you violinists? I know who you are. All of us know who you are. I enjoy having some strings added to the, the groups, and it, it's really a blessing. Thank you, Olivia. We are blessed to have uh, groups who are young and old and all mixed up in lots of ways. If you are visiting home from college, would you stand up? Yes, this means you. Welcome home. Enjoy Thanksgiving and then get back to your books. In fact, if you brought a paper home, finish it. Have you ever been given the opportunity for the good news or the bad news? Somebody says, I've got two things to tell you. I've got good news and bad news. Which one do you choose? Are you always good news? Start out with the good news first person. Are you, give me the good news. I want the good news. Or are you, let me eat the sour pill first and let's finish up with the good news. It can, you can kind of tell by your plate which one you are, right? Because on your plate, the things you don't like eating, you eat those first. And you say the things you do like eating for last, you're a bad news first person. If you're the eat everything I like first and save that last thing I don't really want to gag down at the end, you're a good news first person. So when you get good news or bad news, you got the, want the good news or do you want the bad news? Which one do you ask for? Which one do you call out for? Give me the good news. Give me the bad news. We have been tasked as followers of Jesus to be bearers of good news. Yes? Yeah, yeah. We have been tasked as followers of Jesus to be bearers of good news. I have a question for you at the beginning here. I have three questions. Number one, have you accepted the good news for yourself? Think about it. Number two, are you actually bearing, sharing that good news? And number three, if you show up at your friend's or family's house this Thanksgiving, are they going to say, oh, good, or not? If it's God's good news, are we bearers? of that good news, also good news. This morning I want to uh, take a look at this bit of good news because I think we're pretty confused about it. I think there's a lot of confusion about what it means to be sharing the good news, especially this line here, Matthew chapter 24. This good news about the kingdom must be preached in all the world, then shall the end come. This good news about the kingdom must be preached in all the world, and then shall the end come. I think we have messed up and have mixed up our understanding of what that is. So I want to pick it apart a little bit today. First of all, I want you to hear the, verses, the verse before. Sin will be rampant everywhere, and the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. 
You got that part? That is what directly precedes what I just said to you. This gospel of the kingdom must be preached to all the world and then shall the end come. Those are the two verses. That's what directly precedes it. Sin will be rampant everywhere and the love of many will grow cold. Let me stop for a sec right here. Is that true about our world? Yeah. Is it true about the church? Should it be? Is it true that in the church we're losing our grip on love? Is it true that in the church the love of many is waxing cold? Should it be? It's the last place where love's flame should go out, don't you think? The church is the last place where love's flame should go out. If everything else is lost, love's flame should be still burning brightly in the church, right? The love of the whole world could go cold, but there should be a little, a little light on a hill still waving, saying, no, it's still good here. We still got that. We, we're, we're okay. There should still be a place of love when the last trumpet sounds and Jesus shows up in the sky, right? There should, still should be some love on the planet, and its home should be the church. So we can let the love of the whole world wax cold, but we cannot afford to let the love of the church wax cold. Yeah? Are we all in agreement there? I, I, I see some nodding and I see some agreement and I see some I don't knows. No. The church is the last place where love should grow cold. That's flat, bottom line. We need to warm the fires of love in the church. We need to do everything we can. We need to be forgiving and forgivable. We need to be caring and kind and let the fruits of the Spirit become part of our lives because the church is the last place that love should go out. Okay? Pastor Greg and I gave you a picture, an image at, that, at the end of time, which I hope you remember. It's stuck in my mind for a while now. And that was this. Shouldn't it be true? Shouldn't it be true that on the last day of Earth's history, when Jesus appears in the sky, the last act of the people of God should be to comfort those who are not going home. Shouldn't it be? Wouldn't that be what Jesus would do? Wouldn't that be what he would have his children doing when the trumpet sounds? And it strikes fear in the hearts of some people on the earth. Wouldn't it be the task of the church to be found comforting and loving the people around us till the last breath? The love of the world can go cold, but the love of the church needs to burn to the end. I'm getting all verklempt and I haven't even started this sermon yet. I want to back up and pick up some more of the information in chapter 24. We read chapter 24 and we get to that passage down in 13 where it says this gospel of the kingdom must be preached into all the world and we kind of throw all of 24 into the bill. 
I'm telling you, 24, if you were asking for, do you want good news or bad news first? 24 starts, bad news first, good news finish. 24 is bad news first. The disciples, after, I gotta, you got to love this picture. you got to love the setup for this. The disciples have been pointing to the temple. Jesus, look how cool this is. This is amazing. I'll show you a, a, an architecture's re, architectural rendering in a few minutes of that. And you'll see it is amazing. It's really cool. You look how cool this is. And Jesus says, I'm telling you the truth. Not one rock will be left standing on another. And if you've been to Jerusalem, there is not a rock up there. In fact, the only rocks that you find are the ones that have been pushed off, and there are a few in a pile down below. The, uh, the rabbis have said that they shouldn't touch them because they don't know from whence in the temple they came. If they were from the Holy of Holies, they shouldn't be touching them. And so, so there are some piles of rocks still there, pushed off the top of the mountain, not one rock standing on another. So the disciples said, man, if that's going to happen, if there's not going to be one rock standing on another in the temple, that's got to be the end of the world. That's got to be the end of the world. And so they asked Jesus, would you tell us what the sign, what the signal of your return in the end of the world is? And Jesus says in verse 4, don't let anyone mislead you. For many will come in my name claiming that I am the Messiah. They will deceive many. Is this good news? No. So, so we're not talking about good news yet, right? Not good news. This is not good news yet. Continuing. Verse 6. They've asked, what is the sign of the end of the world? What's the question? What's the sign of the end of the world? What's Jesus' answer? You will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. These are things that must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Is this good news yet? No, it's not good news. It's still an answer to the question. What will be the signs of the end of the world? Nations will go to war against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world. But all this is only the first of the birth pangs with more to come. Good news yet. No, this is important sign. This is important information. It's discovery of what will happen at the end of time. It's also telling you, by the way, God is still in control. God knows what's coming. And these big things that you're afraid of, they're just the beginning of the birth pangs. I'm not going to be able to do that in 10 years. I'll have to get a surgery if I do that. Do you get it? Just the beginning of what's coming. Verse 9. Then you will be arrested. Is that good news? Persecuted. Killed. You will be hated all over the world because you are my followers. Any good news yet? None of this is good news. So don't package it as good news. Don't throw this into the package of good news. This is important information, but it is not the gospel. It is not the good news. It's important information about what comes at the end. It's important to understand what's coming. It's important to know that God knows what's coming, but it is not the good news. Verse 10, and many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and will deceive many people. But the one who endures to the end will be. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. All of this stuff, nations will rise against nations. Kingdom is king. People are going to hate you. People are going to kill you. Bad stuff is going to happen. Lots of ugly stuff is going to happen. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. This gospel of the kingdom must be preached in all the world. Then shall the end come. What is the gospel of the kingdom? The one who hangs on to the end. The one who makes it through all of this craziness. The one who makes it through, who endures to the end will be saved. What's the good news? There's still an opportunity, even in that mess, to be saved. That's the gospel of the kingdom. 
The rest of that is information about the end of time. Don't package them together. Don't package them as one thing. The first part is all fear-ridden, end-of-time, scary stuff, which is good information. You should know it. You should be aware that nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And when you see it, you should say, God already knew this was going to happen. It should encourage your faith in God. It should strengthen your belief that God is on his throne and still in charge, even when ISIS goes crazy, even when terrible things are happening in our world. We should still be able to say, God predicted this. God knew this was going to happen. It's okay. God hasn't abandoned his throne because people have become evil. He is still on his throne. But the good news is, he who endures to the end will be saved. Now, I want to unpack this for just a sec because we kind of compartmentalize stuff. We immediately compartmentalize and say, oh, endures to the end. That's about the people at the end of time. I don't have to worry about it. In fact, many of us secretly hope for the layaway plan, Right? Many of us secretly hope, Lord, just let me die before all the crazy stuff happens, please. Right? Lay away for the day when he wakes me up and everything. I missed it. Oh, I missed the end of time. Oh, too bad. (laughs) Shucks. Right? By the way, you might be living in it. You might be living in it. If I'm understanding the collapse of culture and political systems and monetary systems that the Bible describes. Boy, if we're not there, we're on the brink. Now, I understand we've been saying that for a long time, and I may be wrong, but can we afford to live differently? We should live expectantly. We should live expectantly. But the gospel of the kingdom is that he who endures to the end will be saved. He endures to the end of his life. She endures to the end of her life. She or he who hangs on to their hope and their faith and their trust in Jesus all the way to the end of their life will be saved. He who endures to the end of time will be saved. He who endures to the end of their time, he who endures to the end of the earth's time will be saved. You hang on to Jesus to the last day you breathe, or to the last day of sin, you will be saved. That's the good news. There's a way home. That's the good news. Endurance, according to MiriamWebster.com, to continue to exist in the same state or condition, to experience pain or suffering for a long time, to deal with or accept something unpleasant, whichever one of those is yours, to endure to the end. There's a way of salvation. Whatever comes your way, whatever you face, whatever we deal with, if your faith is still intact at the end, there's a way home that will get you home. You will be saved. So what then is the news? Verse 15, but the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us after he said before, This is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my law in their hearts and and in their minds and I will write them. I will put my law in their hearts and in their minds and I will write them. So what's the first piece I want you to remember is that as Jesus begins to describe this, he says there's a covenant that is true and it 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 is written on their hearts and on their lives. Where does this come from? Do you know? 
It's Jeremiah chapter 31, where Jeremiah states this covenant is the covenant of the future, the new covenant of the people who will follow after God. Verse 17, he continues. Then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Is that good news? Is the news pretty good? He writes his law on your heart and on your mind. He does it on the inside of you. And, oh, by the way, your lawless deeds are remembered no more. Now, where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. This is the Apostle Paul stating what is true. He says, once this is clear, once your law is written on your heart and sins are remitted, there is no longer an offering for sin. Why is there a removal of the sin offering? Simple. Your sins have been remitted. Jesus was the last and final sin offering. And then he continues, verse 19, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil. You know what the problem for man is? Sin has separated us from God. Sin has separated us emotionally. Sin has separated us spiritually. Sin has separated us in actual vicinity. Do you remember what Jesus shouted? Do you remember what he cried out when the sin of the world fell on him at the cross? My God, my God, why have you what? Forsaken me. Separated yourself. He felt the separation that was God pulling away because sin separates mankind from God. Remember when Moses was up on the mountain, he said, God, I'd like to see your face. You remember what God said? No man can look on me and live. Remember the veil in the sanctuary that separated the holy from the most holy? I've told you. I hope I'll keep telling you. It's a veil of mercy. It's the mercy that separates us from God to protect us from him, to keep us from being consumed, which is the natural state of sin in the presence of God. Here's that artist rendition, architect rendition of the holy of the sanctuary um, as it was built on, Mount, on, on uh, the mountain in Jerusalem. Look at all the gold inside. Look at how amazing that thing is. But here's the part I want you to think about. No one goes from here to there but the high priest. No one. And the high priest only goes once a year on the Day of Atonement. He goes on garbage day to collect the trash and he goes into the Holy of Holies and comes out with it. He goes and picks up the sins of the people and hauls them out and puts them on the head of the scapegoat. Different sermon. But I want you to understand what was just stated by the apostle. He said, because of the good news of Jesus Christ, because of the sacrifice of Jesus, he's written his law on your inside. So you, you actually begin to behave like God from the inside out, not from the outside in. That's why Jesus constantly objects to this. With the Pharisees in the New Testament, he's constantly objecting to them. Hey, you guys, you guys bring the, the tithe of the mint, anise, and cumin. You're bringing cumin leaves to me, or cumin seeds to me, and tithing on the cumin seeds. Come on. He said, this you should also do, but you should do, but also you should love your neighbor. You should forgive. You should do the things of the heart. Jesus is constantly battling against our our need, our interest in putting on an outside veil of righteousness and having no transformation on the inside. Because the new covenant is not about the outside. The new covenant is about a transformation that happens on the inside. God writes something on your heart and it changes everything you do. It changes the way you think and the way you behave and how you look at your neighbor. And it makes it so that the church does not allow the light of love to burn out in the world. 
When all else is darkness, the the small light of little churches here and there glows like crazy. What do we have churches to do? Are churches today known for their love of God and their love of their neighbor? Or are we known for protesting? Are churches known for carrying signs to funerals of Marine Corps veterans or for people who have died in Iraq or Afghanistan? What are churches known for? People, we are best known for this crazy little Baptist church who carries signs and protest. We are best known for the guys on TV who steal from folks. We are best known by the culture for those things. The church isn't those things. If you go around the world and you sit in a church any Sabbath or any Sunday, anywhere in the world, you're not going to find that to be normal in the church. But we have not spoken up. We have not loved our neighbor. We have not been in contact with enough people that they say, no, that's not the church. You and I are the church and we need to put a different face on it than the media puts on it. So when the media puts up a false image of what the church puts out, some weird person out there who's standing up with a sign. They say, no, that's not the church. I know the church. Church lives next door to me. I know the church. Church lives across the street from me. I know the church. Church works with me. I know the church, and that's not the church. They may not be a member, but they should know that you care about them. They may not be following Jesus, but they should know that you are. They should know that you love and care for people around you because of what Jesus has done for you, because he's changed something in you. He's written something on your heart that's made you no longer congruous with the world you live in. You live in a different world, in a different way. You live differently because God has changed who you are from the inside. He's written his law on your heart. And he's changed you. The scripture says once that law is written on your heart, your sins are gone. They're so far gone that God says there's no no longer a sacrifice for sin. Oh, the repercussions for this is big. Again, another sermon. There's no longer a sacrifice for sin. Jesus died. He sacrificed himself. There's no longer a need for this anymore. He transformed who you are. He wrote it on the inside. And then he said, and by the way, you no longer have to be separated from dad. You no longer have to be separated from dad. You no longer have to hang out out here. You have no longer have to be out here in the, in the foyer. You can actually go into church. And not only can you go into church, you can go in the back. You can go in the very back. You can go sit, shake hands with dad, sit down on the mercy seat or next to the mercy seat or hold his hand, love him, bow to him, worship him. You can go and be in the presence of your father. Why? Because Jesus has made a way through the veil where there was no way before. You know how he did that? He died so that you don't have to. He died so that your sins were remitted, gone, forgiven, gone forever. If you accept that, he who endures in that to the end will be saved. That's the good news of the gospel. That's what we have to share. That's what God gave to us. That's what we're supposed to be telling people. We worry about the rest of Matthew 24. We say, I don't know. I don't understand. I can't remember all those numbers. I can't remember how the 2400 and the 1260 and all those things go. By the way, we're going to do that in January. We'll give you a little refresher course. I can't remember all that stuff. So I can't talk to my neighbor. Jesus said, "Uh, by the way, there's a lot of bad stuff coming, but he who endures to the end will be saved. This gospel of the kingdom must be preached in all the world. Then shall the end come. What is this gospel of the kingdom? He who endures, he who stays in contact, he who holds on to Jesus, who abides in him. 
He who holds his faith fervently all the way to either their last breath or the last tick of earth's clock will be saved. In the midst of all the craziness in the world, there's a way home. That's the good news. That's the good news. I want to remind you about verse 20 of Luke 15. Verse 20 says that the father ran and met his son while he was still far from home. The son turned and headed home and the father ran out to meet him while he was still far from home. Some folks come to the church and they think, we've got to get our stuff together. got to get my stuff together before Jesus is going to let me in. I've got to get my stuff together before God is going to accept me. I've I got to get working on my things. Some people don't even enter the back door. They won't even come through the door because they're just afraid. They've got to get their stuff together before they come. They've got to have the right appearance, the right actions, the right clothes, the right verbiage. What if you're in church and one of, the, one of your well-worn curse words comes out? Then what? What if you show up and everybody's dressed differently? Then what? What does it look like? People are fearful of the church because they don't know the Father is willing to meet them out on the road and walk them home. The Father. Let me finish with a story. 2 Kings chapter 6 and 7 are the story of the siege by the Syrians of Samaria. The Syrians have a siege on Samaria. And yes, you have to be careful when you say that. The siege of the Syrians on Samaria is such that people are starving. The siege the Syrians on Samaria is such that people are starving. It's been going on long enough that people inside the city have begun to run out of food and in fact it appears they've been eating their horses because later on in the story we find they only have four left. But outside the city there are four men with leprosy. They sit by the city gate because that's the best place to beg. When people are coming in and out, you can get some food. You can get something to eat. Your family could bring you something while you're there. And they're running out of food, and they're beginning to starve as well. And they said to each other, why stay here until we die? If we say we'll go into the city, the famine is there, and we will die. So if we open the gate, go in the city, they're already starving. We'll just die with them. And if we stay here... We will die. So what are their choices? Go in the city and die. Stay in the gate and die. So let's go over to the camp of the Arameans. Another name. Another name for the Syrians. And surrender. If they spare us, we live. If they kill us, we die. It's kind of a gruesome picture, but, you know, they're saying, hey, we go in, we die. We stay here, we die. We go over there, we might die. But at least that's a might. 
We don't have great chances, but the chances there are better than the chances here. We die for sure here. This is a 100% chance of dying. Over there, maybe die, maybe not. So they decide to go. Now, I want you to notice they go at dusk. Because I think they're trying to sneak in as much as they can. At dusk, they, go, they got up and went to the camp of the Arameans. When they reached the edge of the camp, no one was there. So there's a siege around Samaria by the Syrians. And there are no Syrians. People are inside the city starving to death. And there's no one out there. They've gone. For the Lord had caused the Arameans to hear the sound of chariots and horses and a great army. So that they said to one another, look, the king of Israel has hired the Hittites and the Egyptians and the kings have come to attack us. So they got up and fled in the dusk and abandoned their tents and their horses and their donkeys. And they left the camp as it was and ran for their lives. The Arameans have fled. And the men who had leprosy reached the edge of the camp and entered one of the tents ate and they drank. It was Thanksgiving. They went into one of the tents and there was food and there was water and and they ate and they drank and they said, great, we have found food. And they took the silver and golden clothes and went off and hid them. Hey, there's stuff here. They took it and they hid it. No banks, remember? They returned, entered another tent, took some things from it and hid them also. So who are they thinking about right now? themselves. You know, sometimes when you first become a believer, sometimes you just go, man, it's good for me what's happened now. It is good for me. Sometimes when you've been a believer a long time, you say, man, it's good for me. I'm glad I'm not like other men who have no hope. It's good for me. They go to another tent, they hide, they grab some stuff and they hid that also. Then verse 9, they said, wait, What we're doing is not right. This is a day of good news. And we're keeping it to ourselves. This is a day of good news. This is a day of very good news. There's a way home. And you found it. There's food for the starving world. And you know where it is. It's a day of good news. What are we doing with it? First, I want to say... Are you going home? Have you accepted this as your own? Some of you, they have never fully gotten this yet. I'm telling you, the gospel is simply this. Jesus died so that you, if you accepted his sacrifice, will be saved. 
If you haven't yet got that, if you haven't yet seen that, if you haven't yet understood that, that is, that is ground level, cornerstone of faith. If you haven't yet seen that, you are saved by grace through faith, and that is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Gifts are always free. Not of works, just in case you're wondering, lest anyone should boast. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Verse 10 gets to works. Once you understand grace, it goes on to say, hey, yeah, now that you, now that you understand that this isn't affecting your salvation, now you can freely follow after God and be transformed into his likeness. But understand that that's not what saves you. You're saved by grace, through trusting, through faith. Not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should vote. If you have not yet gotten that, you're not going home. If you get that, you're going home. There's a way home, and that's the way. So the first question, if you have not yet committed to following after Jesus for the rest of your life, enduring to the end, staying faithful, believing, trusting, following him wherever he leads, saying yes to Jesus. We talked about it last week, saying yes to Jesus. No matter what he puts in front of you, he will not challenge you to do anything. He will not empower you to do. He will not challenge you to face anything. He will not empower you to do. There was nothing in this world, no temptation has come to you that he has not seen through before. There are footsteps going ahead of you. There's a path through whatever you're facing. But the footsteps that go through that path are the footsteps of Jesus. That's the way through. Second, are you telling anyone? And I'm not asking you if you're telling them all about the things of the end of time. In fact, I would rather you didn't until you tell them about Jesus because the end of time is really scary if you don't know Jesus. I'm not asking you if you're giving Bible studies on what happens when you die. I'm not asking if you're giving Bible studies or telling people that Jesus is coming in your lifetime. What I'm really asking is, have you told them the way home? Have you told them that after, after you found Jesus, it was better? Have you told them that that's the only way through the trouble they face? Are you telling anyone? Family, friends, coworkers, people who trust you, have you told anyone? And last, the question that I asked you before, when you show up, are you good news? You see, the ideal church has people bearing good news that other people actually want to see. If your standard posture has a wagging finger at the end of it, you're probably not good news. If the first words out of your mouth are usually condemning, you're not good news. If you spend your time looking for the faults of others, I guarantee you, they invited you to Thanksgiving, but they were hoping you wouldn't come. The sacrifice of Jesus has made a way for us to get home.
That's the good news. That's what we are called to accept for ourselves and share with everybody around us. Our family, our friends, our loved ones, everyone around us. We are called to be bearers of good news. We are called to let the fruit of the Spirit become part of our lives so that when we come through the door, that too is good news. The church is supposed to be a place where love, joy, peace, gentleness, patience, kindness, self-control are the attributes of the people. That's us. That's supposed to be us. So I ask myself, have I really accepted the good news? To, the, to let it be transformational and right on my heart. Have I told anyone? And when I show up at someone's door, am I good news? Let's pray. Father God, for those here today who have not yet met you or have heard about you but never let you be Lord of their life, I want to lift them up to you today. I ask you to intervene. I ask you to Bless and strengthen the little seeds of faith that are there. I pray that you would give them clarity about who they are and who you are. I pray that they'll recognize the need of your sacrifice on their behalf and not leave today without accepting you as Lord of their life and the covering sacrifice that provides mercy. And for all of us, Lord, I ask that we would be filled by your Spirit. That we would be transformed by your presence. That we would start looking more like you than us. And that we would say yes when you give us the opportunity to tell someone that you make a difference in our life. In Jesus' name, amen.